0: And welcome to the Digital PR Podcast with me, Louise Parker, and my lovely co-host, Steve Baker. Due to intense popular demand, we are back for a second season and we will be again chatting to some of the digital PR greats, discussing the ins and outs of our industry. This season, we'll be touching on topics like crisis comms, freelancing, the great office debate, digital PR in America. And we'll also be getting the perspectives of in-house clients and journalists on what they really think about digital PRs. Excitingly, this season we also have a sponsor.
1: Ooh.
0: All six episodes are sponsored by our friends at CoverageBook. We all use CoverageBook in the PropellerNet team, and so do agencies and brands all over the world. It's an amazing tool that creates PR reports in minutes, drastically reducing the time that would typically be spent on reporting. Steve, would you like to know a fun fact?
1: Yes, please.
0: (laughs) One agency team saved $2,000 of PR budget every month when they switched to using the tool. Pretty good. What we love about it is that it gives you realistic, industry-leading metrics that you don't need to have a data science degree to understand. It does all the clippings for you, so no more boring copying and pasting. And it just looks super snazzy, so you don't have to be a designer to showcase your coverage like a pro. You can visit coveragebook.com and sign up for a free trial to see why some of the best digital PR practitioners in the world depend on Coverage Book. All right, on to our episode.
1: We're very excited to be joined by a journalist for our latest episode. katie Ann Gupwell has been a lifestyle reporter for The Daily Star since 2022, having joined them from her senior reporter role across Wales Online, Western Mail, South Wales Echo and Wales on Sunday. Her focus is on covering real-life stories, health and fitness, beauty, fashion and sex content. And she's going to be speaking to us about digital PR from a journalist's perspective.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I've obviously given a brief intro into um, who you are, but could you give us a little bit more of a background into your career so far?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, I started off, like you said, with Wales Online. I was there for just under six years. My time there, I was a general news reporter, so I sort of covered anything from breaking news to court stories to more general feature writing. And then I moved over to the Daily Star back last year um, and that's where I started my work as a lifestyle reporter. So like you said, now I cover topics from fashion to food to all the sex content.
0: It's quite a big question, but I think it would be helpful to kind of start out. It would be great to know about your typical working day, kind of when you log on, when your key meetings are how you pitch stories to editors, things like that. Just from a PR perspective, it would be really interesting to just get an insight into your day, basically. Yeah, so
2: um, they're, they're really quite varied. So I do work on a, on a shift basis. So I'll do an early shift, a sort of standard day shift and an afternoon shift. And those shifts will rotate each week. In terms of pitching stories, there's no sort of one answer fix-all for that because sometimes it can be a case of, you know, putting a list together and mentioning things to my editor with more sort of feature work and longer reads. Those tend to be sort of monthly meetings where we, you know, sort of plan for the next few weeks or the few months with ideas going forward. But other than that, you can sort of, you know, pitch things that come into your head there and then or if new things come in by email or, you you know, you see things day to day. It pretty much varies on when ideas crop up and when things happen, but day to day it is mainly just you know your your morning chats, and then every few weeks we'll have um sort of longer meetings where we discuss longer term ideas if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and do you have a certain number of stories that you have to do a day or a week?
2: Um, there's no sort of big rule for that sort of stuff. It can all depend on if, you know, one day you may not be working on any feature writing or any longer-term reads, so you can do a lot more. Um, and other days you may think, you know, I need to dedicate a few hours to this to make sure we get sorted by the deadline. So that sort of varies day to day.
1: And you're covering, as a lifestyle report, you're covering a lot of different topics. And it's actually quite similar. Like we're really intrigued to speech, but it's quite similar to the world of PR, where we work with a lot of different clients, and you almost become an expert in lots of different topics. Like, where do you find inspiration? So you're like moving from like food to health and fitness to beauty to fashion. Like, are you looking at social media? Are you sort of obviously you're getting pitches from PRs? Like, where do you find your best inspiration for stories? Do you think?
2: I think it all depends on what's topical at the time. You know, with food, it could be a, a latest TikTok craze, for example. Or if there's a particular sex story that's been discussed on TV, for example, um, that something's spoken out about, then you can sort of pinpoint ideas off that and explain what things mean. Or, you know, go into that sort of thing deeper with someone who's an expert in the field. So lots of different ways you can explore those ideas. I mean, you can also do first-person pieces, I guess. Like, I tried this TikTok hack to see if it worked and this is what happened. You know, all those sorts of ideas bounce off Um, I think just things that are really topical at the moment.
0: That's interesting. So all those examples kind of stemmed from something, like you said, that's already topical or that's already popular, that's already been spoken about. Is that kind of the key to like getting your attention as a PR person bringing a story to you? that you've kind of made a proof point that it's actually already a thing or it's already popular or it's already controversial.
2: Yeah, I think so. Or or something that's really quirky as well. You know, we like things that are different and things that will catch people's eye. So, yeah, anything like that can kind of work.
1: And in terms of, like, this is something that PRs are obsessed with, because I think good PR people do really think about, like, a journalist day and, like, genuinely want to know. But in terms of pitching to you, is there, like, a, a better time of day? Is there, like, a better format I know it's going to vary from journalist to journalist and publication to publication but for you personally Katie like what is the best way to approach you what's like yeah that's good I like that and that's gonna that's gonna work
2: yeah um like I said to you I I work on a a shift basis so you know there could be one day where I I don't pick up anything in the morning and Mm. I'll, I'll get to them in the afternoon but generally speaking even though I don't reply I mean no I may not reply to you instantly I will get to you and I think you're better off sort of if you want coverage that day or within the, the first two or three days, get them, you know, as early in the day as possible because then you've got time to think, I can manage this today or I know that's there and it's important and I can go back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, So I would say that's sort of the best thing to do if you want coverage quickly.
1: Yeah. And what's the, if you don't mind me asking, like what's the state of your, again, something that we know from from journalists and sort of anecdotally, but what's the state of your inbox like? Do you get inundated with stories? Is it quite difficult to manage? And do you get like a lot of irrelevant stuff where you're like, oh, they haven't even read what I do? Because, yeah, that must be quite frustrating if so
2: yeah um it's something that varies day to day you we obviously do get inundated um and especially when you know people can resend and resend in case you've missed it which in some ways is helpful but you know realistically as much as we'd love to we just haven't got time to respond to every single email we receive saying we can yeah. do this or we can't do this which I understand can be frustrating if you if you work in PR but you know it's simply a, it's, it's simply a time management thing hmm And, you know, yeah, that can be slightly frustrating, I guess. But I think, you know, the PR that stands out to me is when someone really understands the publication that you're writing for. And I know that must be tough for PRs because you just want to get as much coverage as you can. So you must contact as many people as you can and hope that these things get picked up. But I think what impresses me most as a journalist is when someone comes to me and comes to me again, knowing Knowing what they want us to write and knowing that it'll work for us, that's what stands out to someone who, you know, I like working with these because they understand what sort of content we want.
1: Yeah,
0: that's like a conversation that's going on quite a bit, like a bit of a discussion. PRs are discussing how to make a pitch relevant to a journalist. And then some people are saying, you know, talk about they went on holiday recently and and didn't Turkey look nice and stuff like that. Whereas other people say actually just what you described, which is if I'm sending a story that I know will be right for that journalist at that publication, then that's the kind of the amount of relevance and the amount of work that needs to go into it rather than the kind of fluffy, how was your day been kind of chit chat. Would Would you agree with that? Or do you want the kind of fluffy chit chat? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's always nice if someone acknowledges
2: that you've been away or that, you know, they know you've been doing something lovely. There's nothing wrong with yeah. with being polite and having that conversation. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I just think, you know, you're much better off going in with the attitude of, you know I know, I know what this publication does. I know what sort of content they write if I tweak my pitch in this way. I'm much more likely to get some coverage, if that makes sense, because I think sometimes you look at press releases and think if they had just spinned it this way or put that information higher up, we would have pegged it on that line, if Mm. that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Is that like, because we we're going to ask you about your biggest bugbears with PRs, is that kind of one of the most frustrating things where you kind of, because obviously you're a gifted writer and you know how to structure stories where you see something like, ah, oh, it would have worked or I could see that working if they just span it in a different way. Or do you get let down on case studies? Like what kind of things have you experienced where you're like, ah, oh, just that's really frustrating from the PR world? they just don't understand what I'm trying to do or how to how to do it?
2: Yeah, I think like sometimes case studies can be really important and especially when it's very much a human interest story Mm -hmm. um, because it can be hard to write those sorts of stories when there's no sort of insight from an actual person. So, you know, case studies are always great and I think that's a sort of good thing to have in the back of your mind as a PR. But I think one of the biggest bag bears and more of the constant resending of emails and also capital letters in press releases like you wouldn't <laughs> put a capital letter on every single word in the real world so there's no need to do that in a press release <laughs> um <laughs> like that, that that's what i that's what i would say if, if it's nodding in the real world do not put it in the press release i think that's a, a really good piece of advice just right as you would normally
0: (laughs) is that people doing it in like the
2: title of the
0: press release or just randomly in like the bulk of it
2: it can be both this it does happen quite quite a few times where you know you have to go through just simply editing out capital letters and i i don't don't know what the reason is behind it but i just think it's a good thing for people to pick up on because there's just no need to do it
0: (laughs) all right yeah Very specific, but good advice.
1: (laughs) Um, Talking more uh, broadly about the journalism industry at the moment, obviously we take a keen interest as PR people and and sort of, you know, see a lot of stats and follow a lot of journalists um, on social media, etc. What would you say your industry is like at the moment? Are you worried about things like AI? It feels like journalism is under more pressure, than probably ever before, and has has changed an awful lot. But from your perspective, um, and you've been in it a while now, like what's changed, and, and what what's it kind of feel like at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think obviously, like since like I first started, social media has just like it exploded and exploded again, and changed in so many ways. So you know, the, the ways people are consuming uh, news are always changing and always evolving. Um, in terms of artificial intelligence, I mean, I think. You know we still don't know a lot about what could happen with that on a personal level i I don't worry I mean you you never know what can happen um you know things can always change, but I just think at the end of the day, journalism is about telling people stories, and you kind of need people to talk to people, so I would like to think that that will continue to happen for a long time mm-hmm. but you know none of us know what's going to happen. I mean so much has happened with Twitter and threads over the last few months and things are still changing on those platforms and a lot of people consume news through social media. So I just think you have to be in the mindset that things continue to and will always change and you just have to try and keep up and and go with the flow, really.
0: That is a nicely positive way of looking at it. You could have been like, oh, I'm terrified. Um, but I think that's right. We we have a similar sort of chat in the PR industry about like, how is this going to affect things? Like, is there, you know, is it going to take our jobs? And I think it comes down to the same sort of thing around the human element. And with our side of things, also like humans being able to do creativity. And at the moment, ChatGPT is not great at PR ideas. I've tried. <laughs> so that's we're safe yeah. for now. <laughs> I was going to ask a little bit more around how PR people should pitch to you because there was recently a tweet that put out and I actually can't remember whether it was from a journalist or whether it was from a PR. It was either a PR recommending this or a journalist saying, please don't do this, which was around WhatsApp messages and pitching to journalists via WhatsApp. But also people have spoken about pitching to journalists through Instagram DMs or Twitter DMs, I guess is another version of it. Obviously, there's the old fashioned phone, (laughs) like all sorts of ways which we could get in contact with you. What are the ones that you like? Are there any ones which you were like, oh, my God, if you did that to me, I would never speak to you again. (laughs) I would love to know your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say a phone call or an email for me would always be the best practice. You know, I'm generally more than happy to chat through ideas on the phone if people want. Advice on how to develop a pitch, or you know, just one ideas on the sorts of content I cover. Generally, I think the biggest problem with sort of WhatsApp and DM messaging on various platforms is you never know when that person is sort of off the clock. And I think that's where the issue lies. There is, you know, we will get back to you eventually. You know, if if we if we want to cover something, we will get back to you. So. I don't think there's a sort of great need to email and then follow that up with a Twitter direct message or WhatsApp or, you know, what whatever the
1: next sort of process may be. It's really interesting to hear because it is going to vary from journalist to journalist. So It's interesting to hear you say about the call, because there was actually another tweet that was sent out this week where a guy that worked in PR, and I get I got why he was saying and what he was saying, because it wasn't just to do with journalists, but he was like, oh, you know, like, you, you should make that call if you're in in doubt, but... A lot of journalists then like quote tweeted that and and responded saying, just don't ever call me. And I get why as well. But then interesting that you, because when I first started in PR, it was all about calling. It was literally like not quite as bad as this, but almost like here's a press release. Here's a list of journalists. Call them. So it's like kind of a, a sales job, which effectively now doing via email but you're happy to take calls and things like that. Obviously, we're not we're hoping that not all of our listeners just then start calling you, but <laughs> it's a long-winded way of asking, but I'm guessing it kind of helps you out if you take a little bit of time to speak to PRs who want to know more about what you cover because then you're going to get better quality stuff, right? Is that the kind of idea?
2: Yeah, like obviously you can not you can't sit there all day on the phone no. to every single PR. You know, I, I'm not going to put unrealistic images in people's heads on, <laughs> on how that, that will work. But you know there's been sort of numerous occasions where you know someone has said to me, "This doesn't work for you, what does?" And I've sort of said, "Well, I can either send you some pinpointers or we can have a call for me to you know discuss what sort of content I cover um and how we can help each other, and some follow that up and some don't, but you know, I do tend to offer if they're really stuck on what what sort of pictures could work for us." Yeah.
0: If you think that maybe calling journalists is a little bit old school, another old school thing that just popped into my head, which is what I was encouraged when I was more junior, so a good few years ago, was like taking journalists out for lunch and and mm-hmm. things like that. Is that something that you do? Would you ever have time for that kind of thing? Are you interested in going out for a coffee with a PR?
2: It's a thing I get asked quite often, but because I'm not based in London, it's more it's more problematic for me. You know, if if I was and I had a say, you know, thirty minutes an hour, I would be happy. Happy to, but I think that's where you this may, might explain your shock from earlier because I can I know I'm not in London, that's when I tend to say, but I'm happy to give you a call or I can send you some pointers via email. I will sort of offer another alternative if, if they feel that would be helpful, you know.
0: I guess if there's any Welsh PRs who live locally to you, then maybe you'd be interested. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. What we're hoping though, this this podcast is obviously very much useful for people working in PR. But yeah, please don't sort of spam Katie with calls or offers of lunch <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. And um, I was gonna ask we want to get down to kind of talking about like links and some of the, the sort of other things that we're thinking about in digital PR and, and how you see it and what you have control over. But before we go on to that on some of our other episodes, we talk with other PR people or people working in relevance sort of related industries about our favorite bits of PR. And like on, on a recent episode, we we're talking about, I still get the buzz after years and years of working at like getting a piece of coverage that's like resulted in a creative idea that you've come up with or spotting something that that results in coverage. For you, journalism, what's your favourite aspect of journalism? Like why did you get into it and, and what still gives you that thrill? Is it like the finished story or is it like really investigating and, and kind of digging out like the, the nuts and bolts of a story? What do you like best?
2: Um, I've got to be honest, for me, it's always been about people. I'm, I'm a real people person and just being able to sort of spend your days talking to people and listening to their stories has always been just like a, a massively lovely thing to do. You know, as much as not all stories are always lovely, but just hearing about different walks of life and hearing about different people's stories, um, I just think it's a really interesting thing to do. I mean, you learn something completely new and different every day. Um, and I think that's a really interesting position to be in.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's a, a really lovely way of of putting it. And that's, I guess that's for me, that's why I still read a lot of newspapers and like online articles when I kind of have to for my job, but I still love it. Like learning about different people, different walks of life, as you say, because it is absolutely fascinating. Lou, I think we're going to move on to some sort of questions about like links and and things like that. It's going to get a
0: bit nerdy.
1: It's going to get a bit nerdy, Katie. So (laughs) apologies.
0: Specifically, like our podcast and what me and Steve do is around digital PR. So a lot of people are like, "Oh, you just mean online coverage. It's a weird term that is basically linking the kind of PR and the SEO aspects of things. And the SEO aspects of things is about getting links to your client or your brand from great websites like yours, because that helps with the brand's SEO, as well as getting lovely coverage and brand mentions and all that kind of stuff. A thing that always gets talked about and and our clients talk about it and then other PRs discuss like how much influence journalists have on including links in their articles and that is basically my first question which is how much control do you and other journalists have in terms of including links in um, the things that you write up?
2: I mean I can't speak for every journalist because obviously I'd imagine every publication may differ on this when it comes to a standing link you know and I'm If I work with a brand regularly, I would tend to include a a general link. Um, I think the only thing I wouldn't do is link every single time they were mentioned because I just don't think it's necessary to do that. But I don't see the harm in including a link. As as long as the press release comes with it all prepared, the link is there. It's been put together for you. I think that that is generally fine.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to know because I think maybe if a few years ago, Maybe some journalists might have been more reticent towards it. But I think it's now it seems to be more like in the same way that that kind of like PR journalist relationship, you kind of understand that like a PR is providing you with like a case study or or whatever it might be to help write your story. That kind of tit for tat a little bit is like, well, include a brand mention about their brand and they get the kind of recognition from that. And now it just seems that additional layer of and a link back to their their site. Like, so it's nice to hear it's just more of a, you know, you're doing it because it's I don't know. I don't want to see it seems fair, but just seems like a reasonable request that you're happy to do, which is nice. Um, The link that you do include, is there anything that would, I guess, make you want to link more or want to link less? So for example, often we talk about how if I send you a story, which is like the most Instagrammed, breakfast items and I say <laughs> it's interesting a great story <laughs> 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 I'm sure That's you're going to snap that one up and the client has like a nice page on their website which goes into all the details about how they did the research and what the results mean and yada 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 does sending a link back to that page which references all the original data and things like that is that more of a compelling reason to link than me just saying hey could you just send a link to the home page
2: um, I think for me If a PR makes it clear which one they prefer, I'm more than happy to include that link. You know, there's been a few occasions where I've been asked to change links where that's just been a case where it hasn't sort of been clear from the start what they prefer to be be included as a link, if that makes sense. Really hard way of explaining it. But, you know, sometimes there'll be press releases with links to the main website to, I think, like you said, an example of a blog post which links directly back to that blog, for Mm. example. So I think In terms of that sort of content, it's just making clear what you'd like to be linked back to specifically, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, yeah, that's great. I think that's really great advice as well. It's like, if you've got a preference, just ask and and just make it clear.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it makes it a lot easier for us as well. I wanted to ask a potentially stupid question, but I have the opportunity, so I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to ask. So when you're writing up a story to go online do you have kind of control to the like the daily star sort of cms so you're actually like writing up the story and and kind of posting it almost like so basically like do you just kind of just press go and then it goes on the daily star website like what are the checks that go in in place if you see what i mean so you've written it up is it just you or is there someone else that's sort of posting it live kind of thing
2: no, it's not just me. Um, I'm just a reporter, so uh, an editor will glance over, you know, and, and make, make all the necessary checks before hitting the publish button.
1: That makes sense. Okay, so, I, yeah, I kind of assumed it would be like an editor there, but then I sort of had this, like, vision of if all the reporters had access to, like, the CMS, you could just publish anything you wanted at any time and just, say like, post it up there and just go <laughs> wild.
2: No, definitely not the case. <laughs> um,
1: so I guess it's, it's really good what you were just saying about make it clear – what you want, what link you want, because it's going to be really annoying if you've published an article and then someone comes back to you and says, actually, could you put this in or this? Because then you've got to kind of go and ask or like, you know, take time out of your day and it's not something you have full control over, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think it's, it's easier all around. I it's the same principle goes for things like picture credits, because pictures can be attached to press releases and, the, you know, credits are either not mentioned or the correct ones aren't there. And then they come back, you know, people can come back saying, oh, can you just mention this photographer? Which is obviously fine. We'd rather do that from the start. But Mm. sometimes all the information is not there. Yeah,
0: Um, I'm going to be nerdy again and ask about, I mean, has anyone emailed you before and asked for you to change a link to be a follow link when it's actually a no follow link? Is this something that rings any bells?
2: I've never been asked that, but I personally wouldn't have any authority over that anyway.
0: Ah, so interesting because, I mean, we still get clients sometimes say to us, oh, could you change this link to be this type of link, which is like one that's particularly beneficial for SEO? Because, yeah, there might be that assumption that like Steve kind of said that you're just sitting behind the controls and you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> so does that mean that it's just just impossible to change that kind of thing? Like you just give the copy, you say what link it is and like you have no control over like... Things like affiliate links or the type of link it is, is it just kind of handled by other people?
2: It's handled by other people. You know, if anyone came to me with an affiliate query, I would just pass them on to the, the team that deals specifically with affiliate links because day to day I have you no know, working with affiliate links personally as a reporter. Um, you know, so the, the best bet for them would be for me to just hand them over to the correct department.
1: And that makes sense, I suppose, because clearly you need to focus on the story, writing up the story. That's your job and kind of making like the best of that. So actually, the reason we ask is obviously it's of interest to digital PRs, but also we know that, you know, the pressure on journalists has probably increased, like, you know, getting asked to do more stuff within the same amount of time so we're quite intrigued basically I can't get that vision out of my head that you've got access to the whole of the Daily Star CMS (laughs) you could just post whatever the hell you want at any point that fascinates me but I know obviously you've clarified you can't uh, you can't do that um have we asked all of our nerdy questions? Lee? The
0: nerd section is over. Yeah, the
1: nerd <laughs> section is over. I was going to ask more broadly again about the um, relationship between journalists and PR people. Do you have many? Because like a lot of people who work in PR have come from like you know some kind of journalism background or or training. Do you ever see yourself? Do you want to stay as a journalist, kind of see that as your complete career path? Did you always want to be a journalist or do you ever, a lot of journalists move into PR? Do you ever see yourself making that move because you have all the all the skills to do it? There's so much crossover.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can never say never at the moment. I love writing, and I have no no intention of um, sort of jumping ship anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's something you can never say never to. I think it all, all just depends on how things pan out, and you know, no one can predict the next ten years. So it's just just one of those things. We'll see, I guess. But um, but, but but for now, I'm I'm more than happy writing. So
1: yeah,
0: I think we've come on to our last question. I think so, okay, Steve. To make sure he hasn't got any other burning ones. <laughs> um, So normally we're talking to PR people. So normally we ask people about what they think the future of the digital PR industry is. But that would be a strange question to ask you. (laughs) Um, But I feel like much more insightful would be around what you think the future of digital publishing is. Obviously, this could be, you know, for the rest of the year or it could be for the rest of, you know, the next 10 years. It would be really interesting to hear your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's such a hard question to answer just because things change all the time. You know, from when I started, it's changed drastically. And that's only been around seven years. So it's a a really tough one to answer. But I think the biggest change will be how people consume news. You know, social media is constantly changing. The way people are accessing content is constantly changing. I think even down to videos, because I think a big thing with social media now is... People sort of treat social media, almost like TV, where they'd watch the news. So you see a lot more of these sort of, you know, short interviews on video or sort of mini, even mini documentaries popping up on things like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatnot. So I think lots of things could change depending on how social media changes. I know that's probably a very boring answer and along along the same lines as what a lot of other people would probably say to you. But I think that has to be sort of the main focus.
0: Yeah, I think there was a study or something which said that gen z get most of their news it was either specifically from tiktok or it was from kind of social media video content and obviously there are like big names that have their own tiktok channels and stuff and like you say do those kind of really bite-sized bits of of news and summarizing them yeah so i mean it's definitely already like making a big change yeah it'll be interesting to see see where it goes because obviously it's great if a journalist like yourself is making news content, but if any old person's making news content, it starts to become a bit potentially dangerous, like of what they're putting out there. You're not getting the same kind of quality assurance, maybe, from like a professional journalist. But I don't know. Maybe that's an old-fashioned thing to say. Yeah,
2: I know what you mean. Whether we'll see sort of, you know, news platforms go down the sort of video route, I don't know. But I think people will always want news, which is one good thing. I don't think people will ever tire of of the news. Um, so I think we should always be there in some form.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think you're right though, Katie, it's like it's so it's impossible to know what's gonna happen. Um, like absolutely impossible because stuff has changed and does change so so quickly. I'm 40 and I was chatting to my father-in-law the other day. He's like 67, but we would talk, he still buys like a newspaper every day and he loves sitting there. You know, he has the time to do that, whereas I've adapted and I sort of use social as a bit of a filter, which actually is a bit of a shame. So I used to love picking up a newspaper or magazine and like maybe reading things that I otherwise wouldn't because it was there in front of me. But like social is a bit of a filter where you kind of go, oh, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that and then if I'm really interested then I'll go and read the longer form of it somewhere either in a paper magazine yeah. or or online but I think that's there is a bit of a shame in that because then I just default to my most like I'm most interested probably in like football and food and sort of travel stuff and then I miss loads of other things and you just gravitate towards what you know and algorithms obviously prey on that as well, don't they? And like, just keep serving up content you're interested in. And so it'll be fascinating to see where it goes. Maybe we'll have this chat again in like five, 10 years and we'll see uh, We'll see what's, uh, what's advanced.
0: <laughs> the Daily Star will just be a giant video scroll that you just go through <laughs> and that's it. It won't, it won't.
2: I just think that you just never know how it's going to change. But, you know, I like to think people will always want to read because, you know, like you said, there is something there is something lovely about picking up a paper or a magazine or a book even mm. um there there is something i think it makes you it makes you feel different it makes the experience different and like you said you'll be drawn to things that you probably wouldn't read if you just saw it pop up on facebook or on twitter mm. so yeah i just think you know it's such a it's a it's a fast moving changing environment and i think we just have to see what happens day to day
0: amazing thank you so much for joining the podcast that concludes all our questions we've gone through a whole range of things from very nerdy to generally learning about your kind of journalism life i think this is going to be really helpful to prs listening lots of useful bits of advice and information so thank you so much for being on
1: thank you katie
0: you're more than welcome thanks for having me